Coming up in Need to Know, we chat with author and playwright Anthony Green of Caged Bird Productions about the importance of Black queer storytellers in all the fields from Pedro in San Francisco to Portia in Atlanta. We pack our love and hate for reality TV. And in Gotta Do, we announce our August Warden Webster Beauty Shop Book Club book. And just like the summer is hot, the podcast that encourages you to know, feel, and do to live your very, very best life. This is Warden Webster. Hello. Hi, Bianca. How are you? I am. Hold on. See, I had to be jumping into it and it's just wrong. Today's episode of Warden Webster is brought to you by the letter W. I am feeling wonderful, wondrous, and wondering. And I'm saying that because you, so that you don't say wanders. Okay. I'm just going to ignore that and say this. Your audio does not sound as crisp in my ear as it normally does. And I think we should just do this experiment with the wanders to see if, um, if they can hear it or if, if it's just me. Um, so I'm not even going to ask you to do anything differently. We're just going to go with it because I'm hearing myself great. And really, <laughs> that's all that matters. So you're just literally setting me up for failure. You know, I'm trying. I am trying to get this audio thing together using just multiple devices. And it has not been my friend, but I can hear you and I sound good in my ear. I guess what is so fascinating, at least to me, is that nearly 80 episodes in, you still haven't gotten the recipe right. You know, so normally the first time you bake something, the first couple of times you don't get it right. But after a while, you get the recipe down and you just know how to do it. And yeah, this level of shade is unnecessary. <laughs> okay, you know instead, what? Go ahead. Instead of you saying, "I am going to," you are going to, you know, fund my equipment needs. Maybe it's that. Maybe I just need new new things. Come on, hopefully your purse and supply new things. I'm hopeful that in the recording it it sounds like it normally does. But I, I, all I can tell you is that in my ear the quality is not the same, but we're moving on. <laughs> so to the wonders, I apologize if when you hear this, it sounds differently. I'm telling her and telling y'all, it doesn't sound the same in my ear. Bianca, how are you? Happy new week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I am, I am, I am blessed. I went to, I finally went to the doctor um, about this year post COVID cough. So wonders if you hear me still coughing in, in your audio it's because just, I don't know, COVID did whatever the hell to my lungs. So I don't know. My doctor gave me a recipe of medications, like just a whole concoction. She was like, try this, try this and try this for five days and see. And I was like, that's a lot of drugs, friend. <laughs> so, but at the same time, I'm going to do, I don't know, I'm going to try it out. So I am feeling cautiously optimistic that this here coughing cocktail will do what it needs to do. 
In this week's Need to Know, we are so excited to have a special guest again, another special guest, just two weeks in a row. This week, Anthony Green, who is um, a playwright and an author, um, he is affiliated with Cage Bird Productions. And Bianca and I recently saw um, his play, When Boys Exhale, which is a take on waiting to exhale. So we're going to get into that in just a second, but Anthony is here. So hi, Anthony. Hello. <laughs> So I was telling you right before we started that I didn't have your formal bio in front of me. I introduced you as an author and a playwright, and I said you were affiliated with Cage Bird Productions. So let's just start there. So straighten us out. Did you start the production company? And then what do you want to tell the listeners about you before we jump in? Ah, okay. So great question. All right. So yes, um, I'm a writer director, but I'm also the founder of Cage Birds Productions. Um, so at Cage Birds Productions, we affirm uh, Black queer narratives um, on stage and on screen. Um, the vision is this like for us, by us approach of like Black and or queer creatives working together to, to tell our story. Excellent. And so we are very happy to have you here. So um, I'm not sure how many episodes you were able to listen to, but on this particular podcast, we really like to center creative Black folks, creative queer folks. Um, we really like to think about the conversations and the people that are often overlooked or underrepresented, and you fit squarely within that lane. So this play, so there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. I wanted to ask you about the play, obviously. You are also a, an author and you have a book out, which I didn't know about, but I've already ordered. So we're going to get into that. So let's start with When Boys Exhale. So I'm just going to let you tell the listeners in your own words what the play is about. And then Bianca and I, now that we've seen it, we'll have a couple of questions for you. So how would you describe it to the listeners? Simplistically, I always say it's a male version of waiting to exhale, but it's it's a lot deeper than that. Uh, a friend of mine had like uh, passed away, and in one of our like final conversations before he uh, he transitioned, he made me promise to like write a play about the story of his life. And uh, his favorite movie was Waiting to Exhale, and our like ritual was getting together and watching Waiting to Exhale over and over again, and just commiserating, laughing, joking, talking about our lives. And um, I want to like do a play that reflected that. Love it. One, having seen the play, congratulations, because it really is, uh, it really is a gift. So to, to your friends, to yourself, Waiting to Exhale is one of my favorite soundtracks. <laughs> <laughs> so the way you weaved the soundtrack into the play, I was like, damn it, Bianca go home and listen to that there soundtrack all the way through and be reminded of the voices. That soundtrack is everything. And it took me through so many heartaches and breakups. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. So let's, let's talk about waiting to exhale for, for a moment. What do you think is kind of the cultural impact of that film and what made you say yes, this is the film that I want to tie to, you know, my friend's life and our story. Waiting to Exhale was like a whole cultural moment, right? I mean, um, Whitney, Angela, Leela, and Loretta, like, they were great before Waiting to Exhale, but Waiting to Exhale just made the world, like, fall in love with them and just catapult them to a, le a different level in the culture. And Terry McMillan has this gift for, like, shorthanding, like, universal experiences that, like, all Black women have. And Waiting to Exhale was a story like 
black women talking directly to black women, not through like the lens of um, of white people or through um, through men. It was like a black woman talking straight to black women, and I wanted that for like black gay men. And many of us who love the film Waiting to Exhale, and I wanted to like celebrate the original film, like not just by like cutting and pasting the story, but like the essence of it, right? Um, the the power of friendship how the, the narrative kind of like moved in chapters and, you know, the passage of time and, and how relationships evolve. When you think back about the, when you think back on the film, Anthony, so I think this was Whitney's second or third film. So if my memory is correct, and we, um, Bianca and I do this often on the show, I think her first one was uh, The Bodyguard. And I think she did a film called The Preacher's Wife shortly thereafter. And I want to say that this film came after those, am I getting am I getting my timeline correct as far as y'all remember? Bianca can always Google this. I don't know why she's giving me that. Like, go to your Google machine and give us the I answer. sure could. <laughs> Carry on while I look up the things. But I think where I was going with this was she was not as accomplished of an actress as Angela Bassett, as uh, Loretta was or is, and so the decision to cast her was a choice because they could have gone with a more accomplished actress in that particular role. I want to know what you think, Anthony, about the casting because there were choices made here that worked. And let's face it, they could have gone in a completely different direction with the women that they chose to play these characters. Oh my God. It's so like hard to look at that. Even think about somebody else playing those roles now because they're so iconic like I, I hear the name Savannah and I see Whitney I hear Whitney I feel Whitney so anybody else would be no matter how phenomenal an actress they might have been like yeah so much of Whitney's essence and DNA is in Savannah and, and, and with all four of those women like they gave so much of like who they are into those characters and I think that's a huge part of why they're so iconic and a part of the culture did you look at Bianca <laughs> bodyguard then waiting to exhale okay, then okay. preacher's wife <laughs> okay so this was her second film and so i think that's important because think about it with only her second film now if you go back and look at tom hanks's second film go back and look at go back and look at any major actor's second film and i guarantee you it's it's trash <laughs> it, takes, it takes a long time to perfect your craft. And so I think it's amazing. I think it's a credit to her. I think it's a credit to the, the cast around her. I think it's a credit to the writing. I mean, all of the pieces had to work because let's face it, they were dealing with an actress who was very green. Mm -hmm. And yet and still, Anthony just said, when he thinks about Savannah, he thinks about Whitney and this was her second film. So to me, that says a lot. Let's talk about, um, I want to shift gears, Anthony, and talk about- Can I, can I add something to- Yes, of course. That's why you're here. never gets as much credit um, as Forrest Whitaker, who directed the film. Mm -hmm. And the translation from Terry McMillan's book to the film that we saw, like the moments that from the book that um, that Forrest like pulled out and, and how he accentuated with the frames that he used and the little like vignettes of, of each woman's lives. Um, and not a lot of people even know that Forrest Whitaker directed that, but I like to make sure I say his name in conversations about Wayne Exhale. Thank you. <laughs> I have no, thank you. You better give him his flowers. I had no idea. One. And y'all need to put some respect on it. Academy Award winner. Forrest Whitaker. Thank you. Put some respect Come on. on it. Come on. 
<laughs> I had no idea. So thank you for teaching us. Also, did you read the sequel, Getting to Happy? I did. Um, yes, I, I listened to it on my uh, Audible. <laughs> oh, same. I, you know, I don't know how to read, Anthony. It's really just audiobooks. But <laughs> for folks who did not read the sequel, I would highly recommend. There was, I definitely, I, I, there was a scene and I cried. But um, I was like, man, what if they made that into a movie? But without Whitney, they just, they just cannot. Anywho. We're, we're shifting the gears. Go ahead. Anthony, well, now I have another question. Anthony, do you believe that the, that, the, that the movie is as good as the book or which do you think the book is still paramount? I do. I, I believe both of them are strong. I think the movie um, has the potential to like reach more audiences. People are like a lot quicker to like watch a movie than actually read a book. But I feel like the book dives deeper. And if you love these women and love these characters, you learn more about them through the book. We could do a whole show on Terry McMillan and I mean, cause you know, that's that's really, Bianca, make a notation. We might bring y'all a segment on Terry McMillan. Just why not? We shall. <laughs> so Anthony, for years, I have felt some sort of way about the way that black queer men are portrayed on stage, on television, on in, in, in cinema. I think, I, I just, I just want to, I'm not even going to ask you anything else. How do you feel about it? <laughs> All right, so first I'm going to say same, specifically with like Waiting to Exhale, because at the time that this movie came out, uh, just having gay characters present was progress, right? But like our stories have evolved way past the sassy supporting characters, the, the down low love interest, the coming out story, or either us like dying of HIV. So um, I try to create stories that allow Black queer characters to like show up as their full selves. Um, you know, yes, their lives have challenges, but there's so much like joy and love and beauty in Black queer life. And um, oftentimes we're not given um, healthy relationships to model after. So like I try to, I strive to provide that in, in the work that I create. And um, I'm also some depth, like so much geared towards like Black queer men is like basically soft queer porn. Mm -hmm. um, we deserve romance and, and work that feeds our soul as well. And uh, plus showing like us loving us is important to me. Nothing's wrong with interracial relationships. I, I love love. But in most gay films, like representation is a black man in a relationship with a white man with white friends basically living in a white world. And I just prefer to like explore the beauty of black queerdom without the lens of whiteness. Fair. I completely agree. What did you think of Noah's Ark? It's a little bit dated now, but um, how do you feel like they handle that? And it, I think it dovetails nicely with what you were just talking about. Oh, so I love Noah's Ark. Um, I, I, I love it. Understand, um, you know, certain criticisms that, you know, it doesn't encapture like all aspects of like uh, Black queer life. But I mean, that's hard when we have like so few um, opportunities for representation that you're not going to get the whole gambit and, and, and spectrum of who, you know, we all are. But for the gays that were represented in that, like it, it, it was just such a beautiful moment. And I love anything that like puts a value on like Black queer friendships. Um, mm -hmm. So many people I, I come across, like they're, they're struggling to find relationships and da da da, but then they don't have any like Black queer friends. And I'm like, well, you can't have a friendship with a man. How do you expect to, you know, have a relationship? And I see shows like, you know, Noah's Ark as like modeling like what a healthy Black queer relationships look like, you know, that aren't like sexual base or like there aren't um, a, a jealousy element or isn't about how much money the other person makes. It's just like 
pure friendship. And it's beautiful. One of the things, Bianca knows this because I talk about it often. I really dislike when we take white stories and we just kind of like put black characters into them. I, I think that's a disservice. To me, Anthony, Noah's Ark was like uh, Sex in the City and they just put <laughs> they just put black men in the roles. Now that's an Isaiah statement. I don't know how other people feel about it, but it just felt to me like that's what it was. And I've never been a fan of like recreating, recreating stories that were made for white folks with white characters and we just put black people in it. And I, I can tell you this now, cause I've already seen your play. When, when Bianca first approached me about this, I was like, why would I want to see that? He's just going to take the story about black women and make it about gay men. I'm, I'm not in, I'm not in, I don't want to see that. Obviously that's not what you did. And when I saw it, I could see, I could see the brilliance. Well done, my friend. But I wanted to get you on record with this, with just that, that idea that there's a template and I think you know this as a, as a writer, as a creator, there's these templates out there and the lazy kind of easy thing to do is to say, oh, the Golden Girls, that, that, that format worked. So let me just take that format and put some, 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 some men of color who like men in it. And we're just going to go with that. And you can always feel it when people have taken that easy route. I want to know what your thoughts are on that. Oh uh, yeah, I got um, a lot of that with this uh, with this project because it seems like uh, so many people came in expecting it to be like there can be a male Bernadine, there's gonna be a male Savannah, and this and that and that. And I'm like, you know, no, that that's not what I'm. Because one, I like to subvert expectations, and two, like mm-hmm. I am a huge student of like pop culture and, and storytelling, and I have a stronger understanding of like why waiting to exhale works than just okay it's these four characters no um like even when i did this i simply didn't want it to be like four friends um no let's use the four uh character arc in a different way maybe one's the mother maybe one's the love interest but it's still four characters and we're looking at at their lives um but we're kind of like remixing it a little bit to get different perspectives so that it's not exact retelling of waiting to excel because you know terry mcmillan told that story beautifully beautifully and i don't want to set myself up for failure <laughs> so bianca liked the ending and i didn't i don't want you to give away the ending to the wanders i just want you to if you can talk around it and tell us why you chose to end it the way you did okay so what i love about the ending is that it does spark these conversations about people feeling differently because that's what I ultimately I want the art to um to spark conversations I don't have the answers in life um and I don't want to present them on stage I want to like present slices of life and we see what these characters chose and then people to feel strongly enough to you know defend or think how they feel about you know what what happened but um ultimately for me uh I'll say about giving too much away that ending was a way for me to give uh, my friend a happy ending um, that, you know, he wasn't able to get in life. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, that that and for my own grieving process is, is what helped me get to, because it, it, it was, I would say it was difficult to write this, but um, I had to like grieve, grieve through it. And I wanted to make sure that instead of letting like that grief rot inside of me, I put it into this play and let it be something beautiful and and I hope with the ending that's what I did now that you've said that I think it 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 makes the ending even more perfect I think because it definitely ended different than I 
had thought and I was like wait a minute what okay oh you know <laughs> so those were the feelings and the fact that you know you you kind of honored your friend's spirit in that way is is really beautiful similar to what you already just said I yeah I was glad it wasn't a male version of waiting to exhale it was just definitely different than what I expected however the way you tied in you know, the music, the references, just all of that into, into the play was very well done. Very, very well done. Tell us a little bit. So what are you working on now? What's coming up? What, what, what projects are you, you cooking up over there? Okay. Yeah. All right. So we have this short film called Folk Flowers. It is about surviving male childhood sexual trauma. I'm looking to partner with the National Sexual Assault Organization for like a screening and a discussion panel. And I just got funded by DC uh, Department of Health, as well as DC Arts and Humanities to do a project for like gay men on opioid addiction. So this is going to be like a, a, a gay love Jones themed play. Uh, you know, spoken word is a huge part of DC culture. And like, as you can see, I love taking on like heavy topics that like spark conversations and infusing them with like humor and like um, reflections of like true experiences of the audience. And like, I strive not to like preach because I don't have the answers, but like just show how these characters handle things. And like that is the the Case Birds Productions brand. That sounds amazing. And also kudos for getting money <laughs> from DC to do the things that you need to do. Will, um, when Boys Exhale, will that be playing anywhere else? Oh my God, good question. So um, I have a couple of things on the table for When Boys Exhale. We're potentially doing it at um, Nashville Black Pride. And there are a couple of other cities who are like interested in it. But I learned when we did it in Atlanta, I'm not doing it again unless I have like a sponsor because woo, that uh, it's a lot taking a cast from one city uh, to the next. I've also been approached by a couple of people who want to do like a film version of When Boys Exhale. So um, there's a lot on the table. I'm feeling um, really blessed, but just kind of trying to take my time to, to make sure that I'm, I'm moving right because the community aspect is what's most important to me with Cage Birds Production, making sure that I'm like creating quality products for my community. And I want to, whatever route I take, I want to make sure that I'm still doing that. How did you come up with Cage Birds Production? Anthony, I mean, <laughs> it, what's wrong with Anthony Green Productions? Anthony Green Presents. <laughs> So originally when I started Cage Birds, it was back in Memphis and we, and I had started this like writing uh, contest for the kids in juvenile in the alternative school program and the name Cage Birds just kind of popped in from the like, you know, the Maya Angelou poem. But um, as we started doing more like in-person events and then when I transitioned to Memphis, it seemed like the people who were like gravitating to our projects were like, um, you know, Black queer people. So I was like, well, maybe that should be the route we're going. Well, we already are going this route. So let's just make it the <laughs> official, um, you know, moniker of Cage Burst Productions. And it's been going well from there. Our, our, our market is even more niche. <laughs> I had forgotten about the tie back to my Angelou. So now, now that you say it, I'm like, okay, now I get it. Let's get into this book of short stories. So in 2018, you uh, wrote a collection of short stories. And I think it's called Black Gay Lives Matter. Did I get the title correct? Yes, hashtag Black, hashtag. Black Gay Stories Matter. Black Gay Stories Matter. Hashtag Black Gay Stories Matter. Tell us, tell us the why. 
let me see. So this was actually like my thesis project when I was getting my MFA. Uh, I didn't, like growing up, I didn't see a lot of representations of like me in the stories that I loved. So um, when I got my MFA, my whole uh, thesis project was like me studying Black queer literature uh, from Baldwin to Lord, Elaine Harris, James R. Hardy, and so on. And I want to do this like collection of short stories that um, look added queer elements to like types of stories that we were like rarely featured in. And I have a revenge story about a trans woman, a ghost story about a black gay Trump supporter, and a fairy tale about gay porn stars, and so on and so on. So just adding the black queer lived experience to like different story tropes is it's what this uh, collection of short stories is all about, and I highly enjoyed it. Is, it, is there an audible version? Because otherwise, Bianca wouldn't be able to enjoy it. Stop. I was just about to say no, because again, as we said to our author last week, there are books that I've actually picked up and read. Don't do that. But everything that you mentioned, Anthony, sounds amazing. So carry on. Yeah, but thank you. There is no audible version as of yet. <laughs> She's not reading it. Let's just, uh, she's just, she's just telling you all that she don't read. I just, just read our last book. You literally <laughs> said earlier in this segment that you don't read. Anthony, do you remember what she just said earlier that she don't read? <sighs> it's not like, I'm just giving her what she gave us. We can find somebody to read it to you or something. You know what? A little bedtime story situation. She have a whole Anthony? husband. She have a yeah. whole husband that can read her this book. He <laughs> sure can. Yes. That might be my love language and I don't even know it. <laughs> The book sounds in the book sounds incredible in, in incredible. So where do we get it? Because I didn't know it existed. And now I feel cheated because Isaiah clearly has known, ordered and gotten the things and I haven't. <laughs> it's available on Amazon. Um, Black Gay Stories Matter. Or you can look, um, look it up under my name, Anthony Green. I shall. And I will be I will be purchasing that or Isaiah will get me one for my belated half birthday gift. Oh. Um, where can the Wanders, that's what we call our listeners, the Wanders, where can they send you donations to support Cage Bird Productions? Where can they get in touch with you on social media? Give people a way to contact you, my friend. Uh, right. So the best uh, way is through our Instagram. Um, you can follow us on at Cage Birds Productions. We also have a Facebook page, um, Cage Birds Productions as well. Um, we will be posting all of our upcoming shows and even like um, casting calls because um, one thing I love about Cage Birds Productions is it gives like Black queer actors and actresses opportunities to like play Black queer characters. So um, if you are a Black uh, queer actor or actress, please be looking out for our casting calls. We would love to have you join our new cast. Tell us about the, um, the person that played you. <laughs> so, oh, oh, so. so so he was based off of you right first of all um he was amazing like hands down my favorite character <laughs> but I was like he feels like Anthony <laughs> so, so Derwin Derwin is the cousin of one of my gay kids so even before the play like they've been in my life even my grandfather says that Derwin looks and acts like me Derwin basically has a little corner in my closet. Um, I have food in my refrigerator for Derwin. Um, he stays all the time. Like we're, we're like really close. I think he's been in almost every Cage Birds uh, production. 
And it's been an honor, like, working with him. I think we talked this time about this being his last time doing Boys XL. Because when he started, he was, like, the baby of the of, of our production. And now the people playing his best friend are getting younger and younger. I think um, the newest person was 22, the age that Derwin was when we met. And now Derwin is, like, uh, about to be 30 pretty soon. So uh, we're going to, like, age him out of the role, even though, you know, he, he's really well at it. And he knows, like, me and my mannerisms. And he, and he knows where I end and where Andre begins. So he, yeah, he has a very strong understanding of not just me, the character, my process, and even Cage Birds. I just adore him. Well, Anthony, we love the play. We so much appreciate you making time to come on and talk to us about it. So thank you for being here and good luck with the future of this particular play and with all of your future projects and let us know how we can promote them here on this Warden Webster podcast. <laughs> I sure will. And thank y'all for having me. I had a great time. You're welcome. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you, Anthony. Are you supporting this podcast? Remember to follow, rate, and comment using the hashtag Ward and Webster. That's also our handle at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's what you gotta do. And also a reminder, the Madonna episode will air next Saturday, August 13th, right here, warrenwebster.com, hashtag Madonna episode. Bianca is so excited. The Wanders are so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's finally here. Oh my God. We'll return with the second half of Warden Webster in just a moment. on giving her a whole episode does she pay you <laughs> the wanders are very excited about it. there's been lots of engagement on our social media accounts wondering why is isaiah doing this do we really have to listen to this and the answer is because i want to and yes you do you're gonna, you're gonna learn so much about madge we're gonna start with why the episode and we're gonna end with some of our greatest madonna moments it's gonna be so good tune in next week from the real world to the housewives, we get into the face-slapping, shade-throwing, and green card marriages of reality TV. I have been wanting to, so for our regular listeners, you know that I think we have really been sprinkling in television a lot in 2022. I remember we did daytime TV. We've talked theme songs. We've talked, oh, last year was soap operas. That was a very good episode, by the way. Um, and reality TV, it, it only seems like it is right, that it is, it is time that we get into the reality TV of it all. And is it real? Is it not? What is it? So when I was doing a little research, and we will share the... Um, this article from Pop Tonic, it kind of gives the history of reality TV. It it's literally called the history of reality TV goes back further than you can think. So when I think reality TV births, I automatically think of the real world. Like that is for me, the first one. 
but this article, and we won't get into it too much, talks about um, where it all started. So in the 1940s, a show called Queen for the Day, and then they have a little, it's like a daytime game show, but kind of reality-based. And then it talks about the very first reality TV show was in 1973, and it was called An American Family. Uh, have you ever heard of this? No, I have not heard of any of this background because um, like you, for me, reality TV really started with the real world on MTV. So I, I'm, I'm learning about this, this background for the first time. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll let you get finished with this before I get into why I think it's, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I think the only reason it's interesting is so the first show was called an american family it was um 12 episodes it was on tbs and it followed the loud family i'll just read the description an american family started starred the loud family an upper middle class family in santa barbara california originally meant to document the daily life of the family it ended up documenting the separation and subsequent divorce of the parents bill and pat loud the intimate and accurate portrayal of a regular American family was something that was not seen on TV before. It also had, um, it also made history in more ways than one. The loudest son, Lance Loud, became perhaps the first openly gay person on television. So I guess his coming out, et cetera, also takes place in the show. And then I started, I went, you know, I go down a rabbit hole with that there Wikipedia. <laughs> so then I was Googling like Lance Loud and just who he was. Um, and he passed away from uh, complications related to AIDS, I think in the 90s. So I just thought it was interesting that, again, I think of the real world that I didn't know that anything before that existed. The American, an American family existed, white upper class folks in California. So it doesn't matter. I don't know. But <laughs> I think that was kind of the, everywhere has its, everything has this kind of origin story. And so then fast forward almost 20 years later and we have the real world. Yeah. And I appreciate you giving that background, Bianca. If I'm being honest with you, I don't agree with a lot of it. So I, I can acknowledge that there was quote unquote reality TV before 1992, but I don't, if I'm, I don't think it matters. I think when we think about contemporary television, to me, there are two flashpoints. In 1992, when MTV started this really this experiment of strangers living together. It was obvious that it costs very little money to produce. Um, it had the right combination of like people, sex appeal, drama, issues baked in there, racism, all these things. Like it was the perfect amalgamation of issues. It was at the, it was on the perfect channel at the perfect time. Like they hit the right generation with that show. Had that show come out at the end of the 80s or later in the 90s, I don't think that it would have been as good as it was. It was a perfect time for that show to come out. 1992, remember that election year, Bill Clinton was, was really centering himself as this new Democrat, this kind of hip person. He was going on Arsenio playing the saxophone. So like, if you think about that time period, it just kind of like fit. And so I think that that was why it really caught on. On November 9th, 1994. Do you know what happened on that day? Tell us. On November 9th, 1994, in the morning of that day, the jury in the O.J. Simpson murder trial was sworn right. in. They were sworn in mm. on November 9th, 
1994, for the next 11 months, the American people were transfixed to their televisions watching this trial. So Bianca, think about it. The real world comes out in 92. We have a couple of years where that was kind of meditating, meditating, where that was kind of um, marinating. And then at the end of 94, the trial of the century starts. If you, if, if I'm being honest, that was the turn. That was where people were like, oh my God, fuck the soap operas. This is way better than the soap operas. <laughs> if it doesn't It really fit, was. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. You must acquit. I mean, there were so many. I remember the day that Marsha Clark changed her hair. <laughs> like it was like it was like a cultural event. <laughs> I do not recall, but I do know yes, where ma'am. I was. Yes, ma'am. Okay, and first of- I, go ahead. I do know where I was the moment that the jury came back <laughs> with their I remember decision. everything. I remember when she went from the curls to the straight hair. I remember when she <laughs> when she gathered Epley Bailey together. I, rem- I remember everything. That was I remember when Mark Furman got up there, that racist, and they they pinned it all on him. It was it was so good. Now, to me, when you think about reality TV, that's where it kind of started. And I think, I think the production companies, they were like, okay, so we can see now that we don't have to spend all this money on actresses and actors and sets and all this kind of stuff. Let's just rent out a loft, put regular people on there and pay them nothing, record it and put it on TV. (laughs) And then, and it just kind of took off from there. And literally pay them nothing. I think that article said that that first cast made like (laughs) $2,600. Pay them nothing. And then remember court TV was not a thing before OJ. So then then we had a whole Um. network that took advantage of the free entertainment. They were like, wait a minute. You mean we can take just the recordings of these trials that cost us nothing and put it on Pe- TV? Yes, and people, that is still happening today because um, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, people were all in that, um, <laughs> that their court case. Very great point. Yeah, it's basically just free content. And so I think because it's so cheap and because it's mm-hmm. actually what people are most interested in, it was just a natural way to do it. And so now I think what we, to, so the real world in my eyes, I don't know how you saw it, it wasn't scripted at all. But now we have these reality shows that are loosely scripted. So mm. to me, the real housewives are loosely scripted. It's obvious that they're not following like a, a, a line by line script, but they clearly give them an outline of a story and these fights are like staged. And, you know, so I call it loosely scripted, but the real world was just like, let's just put these people on here and see what happens. Absolutely. And to this day, there are those iconic moments from the real world. Some of the cast that you almost felt like, I guess, cause it started in like 92 that for some of them, I don't know, I don't want to say grew up with them, but I think they, that, that first season, Pedro, there's just, there's, there's so, uh, there but was Pedro so, wasn't there was on so the first much. season. He was on the second season. A second oh, or yes, third. you're right. Because the first one is New York and they just did. Um, yeah, I think if memory serves, he was third because he was San Francisco, right? So the first season was, was New York. The second was L.A. Mm-hmm. That's where Tammy got dragged. And then I think the third season was Pedro. Correct. Man, you can you can correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm surprised you haven't Googled this, Bianca. Aren't you the producer looking- of this segment? <laughs> She's unprepared, y'all. She's unprepared. Do you remember when they dragged Tammy down the hall and on the LA season and it was it was this huge thing and it started off as they were horse playing and everyone was having a good time and then in the yes. literally in the middle of the horse play she got mad and suddenly it just it just turned on a dime I was like but girl what is this y'all were all playing 
literally five minutes ago. And then they end up throwing the guy out of the house over some bullshit. You don't when people that? say I'm done playing, I'm done playing. Timmy went through a lot that season. Didn't she, she have did. an abortion during the she season? She did. Oh my God, she, it was a lot. She did. So you're right. New York, LA, San Francisco, London. And would you like to give me some flowers? Would you like, I'll, I'll, let's take 30 seconds to give me some flowers for remembering the history of reality TV. Your memories are right. Or maybe you had the article up too. It's fine, whatever. <laughs> you, are, you are right. Sammy <laughs> Roman is doing many things with that Bonnet Chronicles. But, um, and now I haven't even watched because I don't have Paramount, but they have all of the homecoming, the different seasons where they all come back together and like live in a house. It's like six or seven seasons. I, I would be curious. I'd be curious to watch to see where they are now. But I think, and okay. And it could have also been age. So I, I really think San Francisco really stood out for me, maybe because I was a little bit older then. But I think Pedro being in the center of, of that story yeah openly gay living with aids like just the layers to that 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 we had never really seen on tv i think made a huge made a huge impact so this article mentioned how cops the reality show about law enforcement actually aired first aired in 1989 i didn't realize cops was that old but that that's again that's like they just took the dashboard cam and like and like made put it on TV. And who would have known that that would be so captivating? Um, and of course, this was I, I was about to say before we had such a tortured relationship with law enforcement, but really it wasn't. Mm -mm, it was we've just always like we had turning a blind eye to it. I don't know. See, that's an example of something that you couldn't do today for all of the obvious reasons. <laughs> like, why are we why are we using this as entertainment? That part. And they have had, though, um, kind of law enforcement related reality shows since. I haven't watched any of them, but they exist. Like new stuff has come out. And then they'll also have things like First 48. <laughs> They're like, wait, what's solving 48? Isn't it like um, the detectives that um, respond to like murders or like horrible crimes in there never heard of them interview never heard oh of them. it's a whole it's a whole thing have i watched the whole episode no but i definitely know the reference first so, 48 okay yeah yeah so what yeah. are your so contemporarily bianca what what reality shows are you watching now if any you know the only one i watch is real housewives of atlanta well that's not true i watch so is Drag Race a reality show? Because it's so produced. That's, that's the thing. So there's so many. And that was one of the questions I have. Like, do we put the competition type shows in the same category as reality TV? So when you think Drag Race or Survivor or Big Brother, like there's competition. But the outcome of those plus... shows are predetermined. So to me, there's no reality to that. Because let's be, let's be clear. RuPaul's Drag Race is produced by World of Wonder. They pick the winners in advance. They they create stories to get the ending that they want. There's no they reality. To Girl, yes. Are you brand new? I, I must be. <laughs> I must be. Yes, indeed. Wait, wait. You don't. You're not. Wait. It's the same thing with Bachelor and Bachelorette. You don't actually believe that that is. Oh, that, I don't. That, I don't even watch. I don't, that's I don't, all. I don't watch. That's all scripted from start to finish. Drag Race at the beginning of the year. They they invite like let's say fifteen girls to compete, but there yeah. only three or four girls have a legitimate chance of winning, and the rest of them are just filler. <laughs> you just see my face right now. I feel like you just told me Santa Claus ain't real. 
when you watch when you watch the credits i don't know because see i pay attention to detail watch the credits of the show they have what's called story producers the story producers they produce the story of the show and the story producers will decide what your arc is going to be so if they were to invite bianca and isaiah on the show they literally write a story arc for bianca and isaiah and then they make sure that the challenges fit the arc that they've assigned to each quote-unquote character what yes ma'am yes 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 I, yes ma'am i feel fucking bamboozled right now <laughs> ever since the first season when they had that weird filter on there? Yes, because they can't Cameroon. Edit. Remember, we're seeing, they have so much footage that they have edited and re-edited to get the outcome that they want. Mm. So you're never really seeing what the, what the performers give. You're seeing it through the lens of the editors. So if you and I did a lip sync for our lives, if they want to show the lip sync to look like you won, they can cut it that way. If they want to show it to look like I won, they could cut it that way. Or they could cut it to look like it was a tie. Editors, I'm telling you, I edit this show every week. And if I wanted to edit it, edit a conversation to make it out of context, I could absolutely do that. It's amazing what editors can do. <laughs> Fair. Absolutely. Uh, definitely. Yes. But Drag Race, though, damn it. I was so... Okay. It's Noted. All, it's all predetermined. Noted. Um, my... <laughs> my face right now so I just got back into Real Housewives of Atlanta this season and only because you were like I'm surprised you're not watching there's a Jamaican girl on there I was like Sonya Richardson did you really restart watching it just because I said that I did <laughs> and, and that damn um charade I just I I just started I just got back into it and this season I have been I have been getting it in and it is foolishness and then I remember why I stopped but then I keep coming back so that is one of them I love that stupid 90 day fiance <laughs> speaking I'm, of I'm the, unfamiliar is it as it as the sound as the sound as the name would imply like you get a fiance in 90 days no so oh. it's usually people who have met their it's a lot of green card and visa marriages child but let's say and they'll tie into the end of this but let's say you go to an island and you meet a sexy man and you fall in love with him and you feel like that is the one and you want to bring him back to this country <laughs> so you have to get the k-1 visa and once they're in the country they have about 90 days here in the country before before they have to get married, before you have to get married in order for them to get citizenship, et cetera. But it is really, it is mess, but it is usually, I was about to say sad and lonely, but that's not the case. That That's not it. But it is people from the U.S. who have a little vacation romance, feel like <laughs> that person is the one and then wants to bring them back here. And those people are often, not always, but eager to come to the United States to get that their good green card. And they record this and put it on TV because isn't that borderline illegal? Well, because I thought if you marry someone who's not an American, like you have to, you have to prove quote unquote, that, that you really, that it's a real thing and that you're not just marrying someone to become a citizen. Isn't that like a whole like undercover thing that people do? Yes, Didn't but yeah, but true. But these people believe that they really are in love with- In 90 days? They oh usually God. know each other before. Like there's, there's usually like, there's usually like from the time they meet, either they meet online or again, they've met on vacation. One of them islands, child. Less, so here's less the Jamaicans. 
here's what I always remind people. Nothing you see on TV is real. And so when people say that these are quote unquote reality shows, they're not. These are producers and story producers who are creating something that they're calling reality television, but it's not real. I have a friend who will remain nameless, who actually believes that The Bachelorette is real and that you can go on there and pick a partner and that the relationships from there are real. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? None of that shit's real. This, this is, these are just characters. This is made up. Like, do you really believe these people, like for real, for real? <laughs> But there's some of them that are still married now, like married in real life and have children. There are some. None of that's real, Bianca. None of that's real. That's all done for show. We don't know where these people are living or what they're doing in their free time. This is all for show. And what I can't understand is why people would believe that something on TV is real. It's, It's like, think about porn. Think about porn. Think about the sex that's in porn. If you if you if you're expecting your bedroom to rock and roll like the bed, like the beds on the porn, you're doing it wrong. That's that's made up. That's not real. <laughs> but if you are inspired by what you have seen on that there porn, you can make your own magic happen. Um. So I mean, that's just my so. This was this was someone who is highly intelligent and I thought was a little bit more with it and a little bit more savvy. And so I was kind of taken aback because to me, whenever I'm looking at that, you know, that TV, I, I just kind of take it as it's not real. And so I just want the wanders to know, Bianca, that whatever's on your TV, no matter what they're calling it, based on a real story, reality show, that's all made up. And I'm so glad that we have a playwright on today to remind us. <laughs> But there's so many, and I will post some of those where they are, where are they now articles of folks who have been on like these dating competitions, et cetera. And some of them, not all, very few, but some of them are quote unquote happily married and 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 procreating and living their life off of whoever they met on the show. Do you ever, have you ever seen a behind the scenes of Real Housewives, like when they, when they break the fourth wall and they show them talking to their story producers and they actually show it to us? on the final edit. Mm, mm-hmm. Have you ever, have you ever seen that? So Kenya's my like- favorite character. Kenya's my favorite character. And I, and a couple of seasons ago, she had gotten into a fight with some of the girls and they had disinvited her to a party. And I don't know why, the, why they left it in, but in the final cut, they showed her talking to her producer who was in like her bedroom with her. And she was telling the producer, oh, they're gonna pay for my, ha-. she literally said, they're gonna pay for my hair because I'm not going to this. In other words, her whole like wardrobe and hair and makeup was provided to her to go as a part of this storyline. And because her storyline changed, she was letting her producer know in real time that she wasn't putting the bill for that. In other words, none of this shit's real. These girls don't <laughs> hang out when they're not on this show. She's not, even, she's not even paying for her wigs unless, <laughs> unless it's her real time. It was a really interesting window, Bianca, into, into the fact that it's all made up. So this makes me, I will reach out there. I have a family member that uh, has worked on a few different reality shows, a few love and hip hops, um, Ayanla Fix My Life. He is, he has worked on a few of them and I would love, to, I'll see. He's also low key, like Kelly Price booked, but I'll <laughs> see if he will come on because then I really want to know. Like, yeah, cause he is in the rooms with, with the folks. You are killing this for me. <laughs> And gotta do, we're getting ready to heat up the summer with vacation flings and the announcement of our August Ward and Webster Beauty Shop Book Club book. 
I can't believe we're announcing a book already because I feel like I just finished our last book two minutes ago. <laughs> but again, shout out to Tanisha Stewart for coming on last week and blessing us. That had to have been just one of the greatest interviews. She was great. And I am hopeful to get this next author on also. Yeah, I agree. Tanisha was a good time. And uh, <laughs> yes, I, I, she's great. And her books are, are very entertaining. Yes. So before we announce the book, Vacation Romances and Summer Flings, yay or nay? Well, uh, there's really only one answer. The answer is yes. I mean, I don't, I, I'm, I'm actually surprised that people go on vacations and they don't seek out. Like, what, are, what, are, what else is there to do on vacation? I mean, in, if, unless you're married, of course, or, or otherwise spoken for. But if you're a single person, the, the vacation should be centered around some good sex because we've talked about this on the show before. Like, why, why wouldn't you do that? Now we're going to do a whole show on good sex when we get to Orgasmic October. So Wanders, stay ready for that. But as it relates to vacation, yes. I mean, I actually pick destinations based on like, like the type of men that I want to enjoy. Yes. You don't? You don't? I, <laughs> you don't? I enjoy the one that's with me. <laughs> now, Bianca and her youth, that's another story. Uh, <laughs> there may have been a vacation boo a time or two. Um, where is your, maybe you've talked about this, so I apologize, say it now. Where's your, your favorite uh, get the men's destination? Well, I have a long list. I'm going to Amsterdam in October. And I think the Dutchmen, at least from my perspective, are always a good time and fun and sexy. And just, they're, they're just like, they don't take themselves too seriously. They're just out to have a good time. I don't, you've never been to the Netherlands, have you? I have not. It's just like, it's just a, it's a, it's a really laid back uh, group of people there, which is one of the reasons why I like going. The Red Light District in Amsterdam, like get you some fries, get you a little, a little J going. You know, it's just, it's just like, <laughs> it's just a good time. And so, you know, it all depends on kind of what vibe you're looking for. And for me, that's the vibe. <laughs> Love it. So we're, so I found this um, very dated, so so keep that in mind, article for Glamour from Glamour. I forgot when you that say Glamour dated, was still a thing. When you say dated, can you put a date on dated? 2012. Okay, yeah, that's 10 years beyond. I know, but I thought it was cute. So, <laughs> so it's just six things to remember if you're going to have a vacation fling. It's really cute. And so for you who censor your vacations around the flings, please let us know if any of these apply. <laughs> uh, the first one is forget about your type. So what it, and it says, so what if um, back home you date well-dressed men with big ambitions? The laid back surfer guy is hot. <laughs> Don't question why you're into him, just go for it. Do you find that when you go on vacation, you seek out the same type? Uh, not intentionally, but I'm, I'm old enough to know what I like and what works. And so yeah, mm. that's just me. But again, I, I'm, I'm not discrediting this for other people. So if other people, if you want to go on vacation and seek out something that you wouldn't normally, sure. But that's just, <laughs> I don't think that's a suggestion I would take. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is, um, and forget about your ambitions. So it says you've got only got a few days. Don't waste them feeling insecure or shy. I think that is kind of true. I think, um, again, pre-marriage, <laughs> I found that when I traveled, um, especially if I'm going to a place where really nobody knows me, I'm, I'm gonna, I don't know, my belly button might be out. 
you literally just said what I was going to ask you, which is that had you ever heard someone say, no one knows me here, so I can yes. I feel like I can do whatever I want to do. I've always thought that was such an interesting mindset. So because what the, the underbelly of that statement is that if you could be anonymous in wherever you live, you would be a whole different other person. I just find that fascinating that people feel like they have to be around people they don't know to be the person that they really are when you think about it, right? Yes, but it's, but it's real because I think about um, the fact that not all the time, but it is very easy for me to go wherever I'm going and run into somebody I know. <laughs> but, who can- but, but who cares really? I do. Because <laughs> okay. it depends yeah. on what am I doing when I'm running into whoever I know. So I think when you go on vacation, like you are, one, you're on vacation to kind of relax, let your guard down, to just really have a good time. And that might bring out a different side of you. I, you know, I can see it. I can see it. You know, I, I don't mind a good bathhouse every once in a while, but I only mm-hmm. go into them overseas for two reasons. Number one, the ones overseas are way better than the ones we have in, in America for the most part. And the other part is that I'm always wondering, you know, what if I go into the bathhouse and I see a coworker <laughs> sitting yes. on the other bench? <laughs> And it's not even, it's not even that I would care really, but it's like, now it's just awkward. And it's like, you know, is this, is this the scene that I had in my mind for tonight? No. Right. A coworker, your mail carrier, your pastor, like anybody could be on that bench. But if you go to the Netherlands, maybe not. The chances of them being in the Netherlands the same time I'm there are much lower. Um, I'm going to skip over a few of these, but um, the next one, keep your expectations realistic. (laughs) So, and I think they're talking about, um, I'll just read real quick. Okay, you've met a gorgeous, sweet guy with a sexy accent. Are you immediately having visions of a whirlwind romance ending with your wedding in Tuscany Vineyard? Yeah, me too. But um, that's probably not going to (laughs) happen. You don't want to get yourself thinking this is something that it is not. It's not going back, <laughs> but going back to 90 Day Fiance. So if you watch the show, and shout out to our homegirl Emily because she really watches the show. Um, it is a lot for a lot of folks that have met their quote unquote fiance or their person. It was like these, I met them on the beach and they were so amazing. Delicious. And we spent a week together. Yes. And I then I proposed I t- to them. I think I told you the primary problem with dating is that on the first date, within 30 minutes of meeting someone, people already in their head are planning out their marriage and their life and their house and their children. And they can't just let it be, we're on a date and we're having fun. They look at it through the prism of, is this someone I want to spend the rest of my life with? And I don't understand, Bianca, why that would even be a consideration at a first meeting slash date. I think it depends on what the person's goal or intention is behind dating. I think there are some folks who are like, I am dating with the hopes of finding my person, the relationship, et cetera. Whereas some people are just dating to date, have a good time, meeting new folks, et cetera, et cetera. But there are some people who are like, okay, I'm not, I'm not out here to play games. Like I'm really looking to future. And that's why they might even be envisioning this on their, on their vacation trip. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, last two real quick. If you're cool with it, keep in touch. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, don't do that either. I'm no. sorry. I, I can't go along with a lot of these. So <clears throat> I'm sorry because I'm keeping you off track. My, I have friends who save the contacts of their tricks like either in their phone or on Facebook or on whatever. And I'm like, why? So I'm, I'm always like, why is your trick your friend on Facebook? Because you're not friends with them. This is just someone you've had sex with once or twice. They're not even, even by the loosest of terms, they're not your friend. Like, I don't, I don't, yeah, no. <laughs> because maybe when you go back to that city and or country and you want something familiar, you want to be able to reach out to them to get okay. what you need. I don't know. And lastly, most importantly, be safe. <laughs> that should have been number one. If that was the number six, that should have been number you one. You would have thought, right? <laughs> when you you're going overseas, thought. be safe. Period. So, and we have so talked how do you, already about a few countries that we're not going. So we established that you're not flinging because you're, you've already flung. But how do you feel about these <laughs> tips? Do you think that they make sense um, from your perspective? <clears throat> I think uh, for the most part, I think so. I like the fact that they were like, keep your expectations realistic because I have known folks who have also traveled and met someone great and didn't and in kind of quote unquote took that relationship home as opposed to leaving that there <laughs> and so um and and maybe there's a happy ending to come but just in 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 the experiences that I've heard eh, not so much so I think I think this is good I like the one about forgetting your inhibitions because again when I used to go out of town, I was very much a different person. But all of this, shut up. <laughs> I may have had a different name and a wig, child. You don't know me. <laughs> all of this <laughs> ties into our August book, which is Love's Divine by Ava Freeman. I'm going to read the description. On a whim, Genesis Malone decides to book a solo trip to the island of Barbados. A sunny beach vacation sounds like the perfect way to renew her spirit after a heartbreaking divorce. The trip takes an unexpected turn when she meets a woman who could be just what she needs to move on. That is if her heart and the universe will let her. Zuri Baker seems to have it all, but what she really wants is someone to share her life with. When she meets Jennifer, she is intrigued by her quiet nature and longs to get to know her better. Too bad her on-again, off-again girlfriend isn't willing to let her go so easily. When they return to their regular lives and find themselves in the midst of exes, not quite exes, and work drama, will they be able to hold on to what matters most, each other? Doesn't that sound cute? So one, I was like, we're going to get some um, queer Black woman love on love. Lesbianism. <laughs> it's called lesbianism. <laughs> Give something for the lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> this here month. So I am excited. Um, I have already been trying to scope out Ava Freeman to see <laughs> if we can get her on the show. She... Um, when you look at just her body of work, et cetera, she focuses on Black queer women, Black lesbian relationships. That is her genre, um, love stories, erotica, all of the goodies. So I will definitely be sliding into that there inbox and see if she'll come on one. 
<laughs> so what you got to do is read with us Love's Divine by Ava Freeman. We will be discussing it on our August 27th show. Take us on out, Fran. <laughs> Thanks again to Anthony Green from Cage Birds Production for joining us. What you need to know this week is that he is out here in these streets writing books and plays and all of his content is worthy of your attention. And so go out here and learn more about When Boys Exhale and learn more about his um, collection of short stories. You can find it on Amazon at Anthony Green. That's his name. What you got to feel this week is that reality TV shows are made up. Bianca didn't know that before today, but now she's in the know and now you're in the know too. So what you need to know, what you need to feel, <laughs> I'm going to get it right. What you need to feel is just I don't know. What do they need to feel, Bianca? They need to feel entertained. Content. It is clearly for entertainment. <laughs> for entertainment. It is a escape. <laughs> yes. Reality TV is is entertainment and escape. <laughs> Get into other people's foolishness so you can avoid your own. <laughs> I don't know why I remember this, but it just popped into my head. Do you remember how Playboy? What? How Playboy magazine. <laughs> right underneath the name they would always say male entertainment underneath the playboy like label they would say male entertainment. <laughs> do you remember that you could google that too <laughs> now, no, obviously I obviously i never read playboy so the fact that i would that i would remember that right now it's just funny things just pop into my head <laughs> and what you gotta do this week wanders and i'm so sorry we're all over the place what you gotta do this week is remember when you got your tips for your summer flings your vacation flings first of all be safe and second of all, mm. leave that shit in Barbados. Don't bring it home. Because it just it just never works out. <laughs> it never works out. Never say never. Why can we not give hope? Okay, Carry on. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay, so bring them home. So what, so what, you're recommending that they do bring the flings home? But to me, we call them flings because that's what they are. Flings. This is true. <laughs> this is they're true. Not, I they're not said... vacation relationships. They're vacation <laughs> flings. Let's be clear about what we're talking about, Bianca. Oh my God. And I have to say it one more time. I can't end this show by reminding you all that when you hear our voices again next week, we will be oh in goodness. the Madonna episode. <laughs> I thought we were done. <laughs> I might say a Webster. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, folks, keep listening to this foolishness every Saturday at wordandwebster.com or wherever you get your podcast. I as always, am Bianca Ward. Thank you. Thank you for listening and putting up with us.